0: You join me in praying? Father, please open your word to us. Help us to receive what you have for us this morning. Speak to our hearts, our minds, the various circumstances that we come with as we enter this place. Equip and encourage us in all areas of life to live kingdom first, Every day of every week of every year for the honor and glory of our King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So, this past week, a group of scientists sent a letter, all in agreement, to the FCC in opposition to the setup of 5G networking in the UK. And the reason that they are against the 5G networking is because it is causing interference with weather satellites. So on the one hand, people are getting super fast downloads. You can stream Game of Thrones all night long and never have a glitch. On the other hand, and the argument that they are making is that really important information like hurricanes, flash flooding, we can't get it quick enough and we can't get it to people quick enough if the interference is there. Multiple messages are coming But there's a really important message that they need to get across. And it's that message that could be interfered with. And that picture is very similar to what's happening in the church of Colossae. There are a number of religions, philosophies, viewpoints, and they're all competing. They're all up there in the atmosphere sending their messages, and the primary point of the entire book is that there is one single important message that we need to be listening to, and the others risk drowning it out. And so what's going to happen as, you keep, as we keep going through this book is he's going to get to some of the specifics some of the ways in which that message could be drowned out, some of the ways in which that important message is meant to impact our lives. But he wants to start with the very core principle that will undergird everything else he's going to say. Open your Bible, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. We're starting in verse 15 with that hymn. And here is the first thing that Paul would want this church and our church and every Christian church across the globe to know. In Jesus, we learn the truth about God. Verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God. That word image is really important. It is a word that in the Old Testament, they were very specifically commanded to not make any images of God. In fact, in Deuteronomy, Moses goes so far as to somewhat offer an explanation for this. Moses says, when you saw God on the mountain, you saw no form, no shape. And because of that, you are to make no form. Unlike the rest of the religions where they would make an animal, they would make the stars, they would make something represent or be the icon, the image of their God. He says nothing in all of creation is like Yahweh. He is distinct and separate from the creation. So you cannot make an image. An image in the ancient world, it was the way you saw the God. It could contain the God. You could pray to that image because the power of the God could come through that image. And he says, in the Old Testament, nothing on earth, nothing in the universe can represent Yahweh. And then all of a sudden, we get to Colossians 1. And he says, Jesus is the image of God. And all of a sudden, for the first time, the invisible God that we cannot see has become visible. And in Christ, we can now see who God is in a way we could not before him. So that as we see what he does as he goes through the gospels, as we watch the way that Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, do you know what you're seeing? That is God weeping that's what God is like. When a leper cries out to Jesus, and even though everybody has rejected that leper, Jesus goes to him and heals him, that's what God is like. That's what you're seeing. When Jesus spends all of this time, three years, with these 12 men, and even at the end, they still aren't getting it, and yet, he doesn't berate them, he is still patient with them. That's what God is like. When you get into John 21 and Jesus comes to Peter and Peter has lied to his face, Peter has rebelled and rejected him publicly, and yet Jesus is coming to Peter to restore him. That's what God is like. He is the image of God. And so in Christ, we learn the truth about what God is like, what his character is like, what his passions are, what his desires are. We see it in Jesus. I was listening to NPR, and on This American Life, a man named Ryan Knighton, who is a blind Canadian author, was telling his story and I just want to read a portion of it. This is from Ryan Knighton. I couldn't wait to tell my daughter that I'm a blind guy. And I'm not saying I was excited to tell her. I'm saying I couldn't wait to tell her in a way that she could actually grasp the basic concept of blindness. The trouble is, a two-year-old can't imagine what it's like to be another person, let alone imagine an entirely different physical reality like blindness. I'd say to her, Papa sees what you see when you close your eyes, but mine are open. Which makes no sense to anybody. So miscommunications began to pile up. One day I'm standing in the hallway of our house and Tess either kicked or rolled this Nerf soccer ball to me. Now, foam soccer balls are really quiet. You see my problem. And it rolled by, yes, and I ignored it. But I didn't know it was there. And she got upset. She wants to know why I didn't kick it back to her. Why didn't I want to play with her? And she began to cry. Now, I don't even know what's going on. So I'm just saying things like, what's wrong, pumpkin, and hey, Why don't you go get your ball or something? Yeah, my wife did see this happen later on, and only then did I learn how I was rejecting my kid all day long. And part of me felt useless as a father, and another part of me just felt really angry at Nerf. (laughs) That before Jesus was essentially our experience. We were getting the best we could. We had the word of God, but it was nothing like seeing God in Jesus. It wasn't just commandments. It wasn't a vision here or there. It was the person of Christ interacting with other people, showing us, not telling us. You know that whole thing about writing? Show, don't tell. That's Jesus showing us what God was like. He was no longer invisible. We were no longer blind, but we were seeing God. First thing he wants to say in Jesus, we learn the truth about who God is because we see God in Christ. Secondly, he wants to say this in Jesus, We learn the truth about creation. Keep reading with me. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, we need to get this word correct. Creation did not have a child. And then more after that. And Jesus was just the oldest sibling. This term can be used in two ways. One describes a chronological birth order. One describes the priority or preeminence given to someone as if they were like the firstborn. That is the way that it is quite often used in Scripture, and it is the way that it is being used here. Again, Paul is not trying to say creation had a kid, and that was Jesus. He starts off with the statement Jesus is preeminent over creation. He is above all the universe. And then he offers this explanation. For by him, and there's a lot of prepositions here, and I'm gonna break apart each one of them. When it says, for by him all things were created, the emphasis here has more to do with imagined or designed or originating in the idea Of what we have, we have because of the Son. He originated it. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, that is the invisible and visible, the spiritual and the physical, um, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all of the spiritual forces in the universe, all things, they were created through him, now it's his power. It is both his imagination, his design, it is also his power, and for him. And the entire thing was done for Christ. You look at this vast universe, and here is the truth according to what the scriptures say it is the design and the power, and for the sake. Of Jesus Christ. Nobody else. No other religion, no other God, no other philosophy. Jesus Christ. And yet he's not done. And he's before all things so that in him all things hold together design, power for the sake of, and guess what? It happened all that time ago. He hasn't stopped. It's still being held together by him. He is still intimately part of it. That's his role in creation. I want you to think of it like this. The next time your breath is taken away by a sunset, that sunset's because of Jesus. Next time you're standing on a mountain and you like look over this beautiful forested valley, or you look up at the majesty of the heavens and you're like, wow, that's because of Jesus. His design, his power, his sake held together by him. That's what Paul is saying about Jesus. That's who he is. He is both the image of the living God in a way that nobody, anything, in all of creation has ever been. And when you get to the creation, He's its originator. He's its power. He's the reason it was done. And he's the reason it's still together. All of it's him. A friend of mine, a couple of years ago, told me this story. He was working with his daughter over the summer as she was getting ready to go to school. And the first thing he started working with her on was counting money. And so he took a quarter, a dime, a nickel, and a penny, and he stuck them in front of her. And she said, you know, who are these guys that are on these coins? And he said, well, you know, here's the quarter. That's George Washington. He's our first president. Here's the dime. That's Roosevelt. He was a very important man that took us through a number of important things. That nickel there, that's Jefferson. Declaration of Independence, another really important guy. Then he got to the penny. He said, that's Abraham Lincoln. And he began to talk to her about slavery, Civil War. And he got to the Emancipation Proclamation. And he shared it, and then he paused, just sat there for a little bit, realizing the weight of what he was talking about to his little girl. And after a while, she became visibly upset. And he said, are are you okay? And she said, no, I'm mad. And he said, I understand. And I kind of tried to explain a little bit more to her. And she said, no, she stopped him. Why is he on the penny? It's only one cent. That's like nothing. He should be on a bigger number for what he did. He should be on a bigger number. And she demanded to know who she needed to talk to to get it changed. Here's the thing we must understand there are a lot of coins out there, there are a lot of philosophies, there are a lot of religions, there are a lot of gods there are a lot of ways of seeing the world. Jesus isn't even a coin in the same category. According to Paul, according to the scriptures, he is in his own distinct category of existence. So far above, it would be like an infinity coin. You'd have to have one of those to have his image on it. And the reason he wants to start there is because if you don't have the right view of who Christ is, you're never gonna understand what he's really calling you to. You're never gonna understand what it means to follow him. You're always going to be in this place where you've got all the satellites. You've got all the coins. And you're thinking, yes, I'm following Jesus, but there's some things over here too. Maybe there's something over here that's better. Oh, no, no, no. And you may not think that. I may not think that. But if we don't have a proper view of who he is, we're not gonna really understand what it means to follow. And we've got to know what it means to follow. Not only because of all the competing things out there. Again, most of the book is gonna handle that. But because of what he says next. Verse 17, uh, 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he may be preeminent. Because, church, as I don't know, foolish, basic, in a way absurd as this sounds, he's our leader. He's our head. And do you know what it's like if you don't have a right view of who your leader is? Like, if we don't actually know who he is, how can he really lead us? I want to read something that was very convicting. This comes from A.W. Tozier, and it is about this very idea. And I just want you to listen not as condemnation for the church, not as condemnation for anybody in here, but as a chance for personal reflection, both as individuals and as a church. He writes this. Let me state the cause of my burden. It is this. Jesus Christ has today almost no authority at all among the groups that call themselves by his name. The present position of Christ in the churches may be likened to that of a king in a limited constitutional monarchy. The king is in such a country no more than a rallying point, a symbol of unity and loyalty. He's lauded, he's supported, but the real authority is small. Nominally, he is head over all. But in every crisis, someone else makes the decisions." Let that sink in for a minute. Lord, but then when things come up, he's not the one that's really making the decisions. Tozier goes on. The lordship of Jesus is not quite forgotten among Christians, but it has been relegated to the hymnal, where all responsibility toward it may be comfortably discharged in a glow of pleasant religious emotion. In other words, his lordship is most expressed when we are singing praise songs and feel really good. But when we step outside the church, that doesn't come with us. Or it's taught as theory in a classroom, but rarely applied to actual living. The idea that the man Christ Jesus has absolute and final authority over the whole church and over all of its members in every detail of their lives is simply not now accepted as true by most evangelical Christians. So what are you feeling? (laughs) Got a couple people going, yep. Is kind of what it's like. He is the image of God. He is over all creation and not just over it, but designed it, made it for himself, and holds it together. What kind of respect and authority should he have? And my friends, this is what he calls us to. Last verse. For in him, sorry, last sentence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The primary mission of Jesus as we see it is the reconciliation of all things to himself. He created all of this. You read Genesis and you see over and over again, it was good, it was good, shalom. Everything was made and doing exactly what it was supposed to do. All of the beauty, all of the joy, and then sin. And when sin came into the world that he made, that he lovingly created for himself and he still holds together, he did not say, I'm done. And hear this. He did not say, I will just rescue you out of this and let it go to hell. That was not our primary calling. He said, I will redeem them and I will redeem my creation. I will make everything come together under me as new, as cleansed, as righteous, as shalom like it was when I created it. And so we have the same purpose. We have the purpose of bringing peace, of bringing reconciliation of showing the goodness and beauty and love of God to a very broken and hurt world, even as he did. And so here's the Lord of all things saying to us as the church, follow me. Do what I do. Believe that I have the power to actually accomplish it. You're not out there on your own. You're doing it with me. You're on the mission. I mean, here's the thing. How many of us, more often than not, what we really want is for Jesus to do our will? That our prayers are, Jesus, please bless what I'm doing. As opposed to, what are you doing? And that's what I want to do. That is, is what we're being called to right now. If we want to know why things are so messed up, sometimes it's because we're in the midst of all the mess up, and instead of following him, we're just trying to get him to do the stuff we want, that we think will make things better. But he calls us to follow him, to do what he's doing, reconciliation. October 14th. 1985, if you had been in San Francisco, you could have seen a humpback whale in the bay. Some of you may know this story. Humphrey, the humpback whale. He became a national symbol because for almost a month, this whale that was migrating towards Hawaii got off into the San Francisco Bay and then kept going Sacramento River, he went almost 75 miles away from the ocean. And out of salt water, it became very bad for him, very unhealthy. He got into really shallow waters. And I mean, every day, news cameras, everything, people were cheering for him, They were, cheering, but they could not get this whale to turn around. They couldn't communicate properly to the whale he was lost. He was seeing all of these other things and it was leading him further and further away from the very thing that he most needed until they began to play the sounds of humpback whales underwater. And so he's moving this way. They start playing these sounds back here, the direction he needs to go. And it got this whale to turn and to start following the sounds that he recognized the sounds that were like him the sounds that made sense and it wasn't perfect he got within like 5 miles or something and he turned around and he went away and then they had to get him back and at one point they had to do some things behind him there were some loud banging they were doing with pipes underwater but they still had to keep these whale sounds going until he finally got back to where he was supposed to be and then the whale, apparently, in joy or happiness, put on a small show for all of those who were watching <laughs> with a big spout and came up out of the water and maybe everybody's cheering for him and because he had been called back to where he was supposed to be all along. But he had to hear that voice. And when Christ came, when God became man, he was that voice, Calling us to himself, calling us amidst all these ways we might go. All these other voices and philosophies and religions to call us back to where we're supposed to be with him. And that is the very foundation of everything Paul is going to do in this letter. Jesus is above all things. And we can trust him above all things And so with all the other voices, we can choose to listen to his and he will take us where we're supposed to be. Let's pray. Father, with all the conflicting messages that we hear every day, messages that come from so many sources, at times even ourselves, our own conflict, Lord, please make the voice and person of Jesus the loudest. That, as Paul will take us through this book, we would not be trapped, confused, or drawn away by the philosophies of the world, by the religions of the world, by even our own desires or wills, but that in all things we would recognize Christ is preeminent. Christ has the answer that we need. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.